The following is a Pro Football Network podcast, the primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. What's up, everybody? Trey Wingo here. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're getting ready for football season because it is here. Glad to be back with PFN, Pro Football Network. Uh, We're going to be doing this show every week during the football season. It's called More Than Football. Delighted to be joined by Cody Rourke, who's going to help me uh, navigate through this inaugural episode. Cody, you ready to roll? Hey, I am. You know, Trey, there's a lot with the NFL preseason. It's currently ongoing. We're really just trying to get to the regular season, but everything until then, I think, has a little bit of a piece to the puzzle there. So excited to break it down with you. Yeah, so let's let's start here, okay? My good friend Mark Schlereth said, always used to say this about preseason. It doesn't count, but it matters. And what does he mean by that? He means, look, the last thing you should be concerned about is the result of a football game in preseason, whether it's a win or a loss. That is an irrelevant statistic here. What should matter is when you're on the field, are you executing? Whether you're a starter, whether you're uh, a second teamer, or whether you're someone trying to make the squad, those reps matter. Now, that is the way you look at preseason. You know, oh, we lost 38-3. to Yeah, but when your first team offense was in, you went down and scored three points, and it looked pretty sharp, and it had been for a drop pass or something, or you got a touchdown, and that's the series you're going to get. You know, like the Rams have already said, they're pretty much not going to play any of their starters in the preseason. Aaron Rodgers isn't going to play in the preseason. And teams do this differently. Like Tom Brady, when he was in New England, played a lot of preseason games. Too much, I thought, but that's the way Bill wanted to get it done. Um, Preseason is a time basically to get quality reps in for everybody that's in the game. It is not something that's game planned. It is not something where there are blitz packages and and really different schemes. Like, for example, the game uh, on Thursday night between the Patriots and the Washington football team, at one point Ron Rivera called a timeout late in the game, and Bill Belichick, you could see him on the sides, like, how was he calling a timeout here for? You know, So, I mean, the, the most important thing about preseason is understand what it is and almost as importantly understand what it isn't. And, and I think with that in mind, uh, maybe, Cody, we start the first topic that we had discussed, which was the quarterback controversy or the quarterback battle, for lack of a better term, for the New England Patriots. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Thursday night, the preseason debut for the Patriots against the Washington football team. The big question, you know, we heard it going into the game. Cam Newton and Mac Jones both will play. Uh, and I think between Patriots fans, there's a split as to who they want to start. And we see these back and forths all the time. There's really no quarterback competition, I think, in New England, is there? No, I, I don't think there is either. Look, uh, Cam got in two series, went four of seven, put up three points. And then Mac Jones came into the game and got a pretty thunderous ovation, by the way, for a <laughs> uh, for a, a rookie quarterback coming in. And he played five series, went 13 and 19. Uh, the average pass length was broken down on some places. Cam's pass length was 0.3 and Mac Jones's was 7.2. And you can take that for whatever you want, but when you're only attempting seven passes, you're probably not going to have as many downfield throws. And I think they wanted to see a little bit more out of Mac in those situations. And look, there's there's a couple of throws that he made into really tight windows that were very good quality throws. So if you're if you're a Patriots fan, you should be encouraged by some of those throws that Mac Jones threw. But you should also understand what he was throwing into. It was a lot of single coverage. It was a lot of simple coverages, which is not to take anything away from the quality of the throws that he made, but just understand when we're talking about an actual football game, a real football game, one that goes in the standings, um, those coverages and those things will be different. So you have to sort of parse it very thinly. Did Mac Jones 
look well, look, look like he played well when he was in, absolutely. Does that translate into what we might see in the regular season of the NFL? That is completely up in the air at this point. Yeah, when I think it goes back to what you mentioned about really this is preseasons for teams to iron out some of their base stuff, base offensive schemes, defensive schemes, not showing too much of their hand. But also for a guy like Mac Jones, this was his first football action since being in the national championship at Alabama. And the NFL game is so different. You may not be going against essentially the most quality of players to start. And that's exactly what we saw. You know, Mac Jones didn't go against no one string defense, but you know, we did see uh, Cam Newton take a shot from Chase Young, who I mean, he yeah. regardless, he still looks the part. Yeah, but by the way, Cam had a great response uh, to that. He was kidding. He said uh, they asked him, "What do you think about it, seeing Chase Young up in person?" He was, "Oh, he's smaller than I thought." They said, like, "I'm kidding. I'm kidding, man. I'm just kidding because I don't want that guy mad at me because Chase is the real deal." The other thing that I find really interesting about the Patriots, specifically Cody, in, in their quarterback process, is that I think the things that they're looking for Mac Jones to do are very different from the things that they're asking Cam Newton to do, and and. You know, we, we talk about team construct a lot and, and how that's important. And, you know, when when RG3 was the backup to Lamar Jackson, I thought that was a perfect team construct of the offense. RG3 was Lamar Jackson before Lamar Jackson. He came out in 2012 and was the rookie of the year, did a lot of read options, made some nice throws, but also relied a lot on his legs. Yeah. And to me, that sort of quarterback hierarchy made a lot of sense because, okay, Lamar is – is improving as a passer and we want him to be better as a passer, but he's very dynamic when he runs with the ball. So if Lamar is out and RG three is in, we can pretty much run the same offense. The way Cam Newton is going to play and the way Mac Jones is going to play are going to be completely different. And I know that the Patriots are going to want to limit uh, the, the, the number of times that Cam runs because obviously he's been hit more than anybody else in the league since he came in. And, you know, that there is a, a battle of attrition there that he's going to face. But what Cam Newton is going to do is very different than what Mac Jones is going to do when he's playing. And that's why I think it's a really interesting thing to watch how this plays out in the preseason for both of them. No, I'm with you there. But, you know, this year for the Ravens, if Lamar Jackson goes down, they got Trace McSorley. So it's a different yeah. different animal yeah. there. But, you know, shifting gears here, Trey, there's a, an interesting development. You know, one NFL team came out, the New Orleans Saints yesterday, had announced that in order to attend games this season, that fans either have to be vaccinated or have a negative COVID test. Now, this is something that we've seen. And obviously, there's different optics, I think, depending on who's viewing it and what light. But in your opinion, is this a good move? And could we see other NFL teams do this? I think it is a, a really good move uh, for the city of New Orleans and the state of Louisiana where COVID cases are surging. I mean, you know, we, we uh, talked with Archie Manning at the Hall of Fame, and that'll be coming up in a little later episode of More Than Football. I might sit down and interview with him and the things that he's done in his entire career. But he was like, you know, people are acting like it's not a thing and hospital beds are full. And, you know, this is a decision that was made by the New Orleans Saints. It was made uh, by the team itself, a private business made this decision. So I'm curious what kind of backlash there may or may not be along these lines, because, you know, for the people that are some of the people that are anti-vaccine and all this kind of stuff, they're always like, don't tell me what to do. I want to make my own decisions. Well, that's exactly what the Saints did, right? They said, nobody's telling us what to do. We're making this decision for ourselves because we believe it's in the best interest of our business. So, if your position is you can't tell me what to do, then you cannot be mad at the New Orleans Saints as an organization for saying, 
this is what we feel like we need to do. And if you're you don't want government dictating and you want to let businesses decide, that's exactly what New Orleans Saints did. As a business institution, they made a policy move that they believe is best for their business. And I'll be really curious to see how much the backlash is from people in and around the other side of this argument that I've always been saying, don't tell me what to do. Let me make my own decisions because that's exactly what the Saints just did. Yeah, well, I, I think it's a great safeguard to have. And, and, you know, one thing, Trey, that we missed out on last year, I mean, there were some exceptions to some stadiums that allowed some fans in attendance, but just the atmosphere, just being on a football field in a stadium where the roar is electric and it gives you that thundering feeling inside. I mean, th- that's what I missed the most last year. So I'm looking forward to being able to have that, being able to go to games and watch these teams right. compete to win divisions, watching players grow and develop. But more importantly, the atmosphere, I think, makes it so much more special. You know, obviously you spent the the last week of the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. Just what was the what was the vibe and the energy like just being around so many football fans, so many historic names that you've grown to know over the years and obviously see recognized uh, in football immortality? Yeah. Uh, by the way, real quick before we get into that, I, I do want to I, I do think this will happen to more teams depending on the, their situation. You know, like, for example, California obviously is doing a lot better in the Delta variant and they're containing this because they have a higher populace of vaccinated people. Florida is completely on the other hand. They keep setting records on a daily basis for the most cases. And I'm curious how the Dolphins and the Jaguars and the Buccaneers are going to respond to this as a business institution because the NFL hasn't mandated vaccines, but they're making it very difficult for players who choose not to get vaccinated. And so I think we will see more teams doing this uh, because I, I think it depends on the situation that they find themselves in. And clearly, Florida is not in a good space right now when it comes to dealing with the latest COVID surge. But back to your point about being at the hall and having fans there. It was good and it was weird. Like, that, that's the that's the only way I can describe it. I mean, you know, I, I walked in and, you know, I, there just haven't been – I haven't been many places outside an airport over the last year where there were a ton of people around. In fact, I remember the first – uh, golf outing I took last year uh, when it seemed like things were dying down a little bit, and we went to uh, we went to Pinehurst, and we had a rainstorm, and there was a halfway house where like everybody just came into the halfway house. And I started looking around. I'm like, do I really want to be around all these people right now? It was it was weird, you know. It was weird having that thought process. So um, being at the stadium and seeing fans was fun. It was great hearing the roar of the crowd. There were some people that were wearing masks, shields, but not a lot in Canton, Ohio. And everybody wanted to shake your hand. And I was just like, let's just do this. You know, that's good for you. Great to see you. I re- a couple people just grabbed your hand. I'm like, where's the where's the hand sanitizer? Yeah, like, like Dr. Fauci at one point said, I hope the handshake goes away forever. It isn't. Um, yeah. But that it was it was great and it was weird at the same time. That, that's the only way I can describe the, the interaction of, of being around so many people in a concentrated place. And, you know, uh, the same weekend or the weekend before, I think Chicago had Lollapalooza, which was jammed with people. But because they mandated a negative uh, test or a vaccine to get into the concert, I think they've had only like 20 uh, cases or 200 people out of the 366,000 that went to the concert or went to the show that contracted uh, COVID and they can't really put a causation yet on the fact that it actually took place or they got it um, at the uh, at the concert. So it's going to be strange, right? And there are going to be times when fans and fans don't want to hear it and we don't want to hear it, but it's going to happen 
where people are probably going to have to pull back a little bit. I mean, right now, the situation in the NFL is that all 32 teams are going to be available to be at full capacity. And the only thing I can say about that is that's where we are right now. I would not be surprised if that changes it one way or the other, depending on how each state finds themselves dealing with a potential surge. Well, not only that, too, just the new rules that the NFL has implemented, they're no longer going to be postponing games. It, you know, if there's an outbreak and there's this correlation between it, you know, that it counts as a loss. And look, especially if that happens down the stretch of an NFL season, Trey, I mean, that could really impact playoff position. You could have a team that's top of their division that happens. And let's say it's a division like the AFC North where there's so much talent, the NFC West with the talent that they have there. Let's say that there's like a two way or three way tie. And all of a sudden, bam, that impacts you. It's going to be frustrating for some teams. It is, and I think the one thing that's going to be very interesting, should that happen, and do I think it's going to happen? Yeah, probably. I hope it doesn't happen. Like a, a locker room, is a, it's, a, it's a rough place, but it's a, it's a much more tolerant place than I think people understand. They don't care, like, what your religion is, what you believe, or how you live your life, as long as it doesn't affect my wallet and my bottom line, and my ability to do what I want to do and take care of my family. And if a situation arises, well, one of these players who has been very adamant about not wanting to be vaccinated and very outspoken, let's just say it's a Cole Beasley or an Adam Shaheen or a Kirk Cousins who hasn't really stated what his position is with the vaccine, but it's pretty clear he hasn't had it. And then all of a sudden a game is forfeited because of that. That's when things won't be tolerated in a locker room. They'll put up with a lot because the mantra is, can you help us win? Because if you can help us win games, honestly, whether it's right or wrong, none of the other shit matters. That's the way you, you, you approach it as a player because you're in this together. It is the ultimate team sport. To me, football is the ultimate team sport. you got to have guys pulling together. We saw that in the Super Bowl. We have one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, in my opinion, Patrick Mahomes. Without an offensive line, he was neutered in that game because the Kansas City offensive line was just bowled over, Todd Bowles reference, uh, by the defensive line of of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So you got to have everybody pulling on the same page. If that is frayed, if that is taken away, then there will be – I think there will be real repercussions inside a locker room. Now, it really boils down to that, too, the sacrifice. What sacrifice are you willing to make to win and also to secure, like you mentioned, your paycheck? But, you know, let's transition things over to the San Francisco 49ers. You know, we talk about a lot of these young quarterbacks in this year's NFL draft. Well, there's a lot of talk in San Francisco amongst fans and amongst media members. Who's it going to be? Is it going to be Trey Lance, Jimmy Garoppolo? We've heard from Kyle Shanahan who said, hey, look, Jimmy G is going to be the starter. Do you feel like the the optics of the NFL right now, when you despite being a first-round draft pick, do you think those rookies should play right away if, in fact, there is a guy like Jimmy G when healthy? We know he can be productive. Uh, where did the 49ers go in this situation? Well, I, I think that, you know, my friend Herm Edwards always says, any plan that can't be changed is a bad plan. And, and I think that the plan is to start Jimmy Garoppolo this year. But they took Trey Lance where they took him for a reason. Much in the same way, you know, Urban Meyer, God bless him, can say, well, it's still an open competition between Gardner Minshew and Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> You bet. <laughs> that reminds me of the old line from uh, George Costanza on Seinfeld. Remember, Jerry, it's not a lie if you believe it. Um, so, it's, it's, I mean, it's going to be Trevor Lawrence. It's going to be Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. We all know that. Um, at some point, I believe it's going to be 
um, J- uh, Trey Lance in San Francisco. And I think sooner rather than later, it's probably going to be Justin Fields uh, in Chicago for the Bears. But again, going back to what we started this show with, what you see in preseason sometimes is fool's gold. So it, it's not so much the things that you see in the preseason games. It's the things that coaches see in practice and in reps when there are different setups and situations uh, being presented to these rookie quarterbacks. You know, I, I don't think a lot of coaches feel good about making a decision on starting a rookie quarterback based on preseason play. I think it's much more indicative. Are they understanding the concepts that we're trying to teach them in training camp? Are they understanding what they're seeing pre-snap and post-snap in practice as opposed to a game? Because those practices, they're actually much more complicated uh, than the the preseason games you see them play out. There are no – you don't game plan for somebody, right? You don't game plan for somebody in a preseason game. But in a regular season game, you will game plan. For what you're expecting. So, you know, Jimmy G is going to start this this weekend. I think he's going to get one series is what uh, Kyle Shanahan said. And then Trey Lance is going to come in. Um, and, and I think that situation is probably going to play itself out very similarly with uh, Justin Fields and Andy Dalton in Chicago. It's just a matter of, of when. It's not if. It's a matter of when. And we've seen it play out many different ways, right? Uh, Donovan McNabb did not start right away. Carson Palmer was redshirted basically for a year when he was the number one overall pick in 2003 or four, I think it was 2003. Um, but that was a long time ago. Yeah. Right. And, and things change dramatically in the NFL now with, with expectations, especially uh, with a high pick in the, in the first round at, at quarterback. So I, I would expect that both Trey Lance and Justin Fields will be starting quarterbacks for their teams at some point this season. Now, even, even when they drafted uh, Trey Lance, you know, like you said, John Lynch and Kyle Shannon said, you know, Jimmy G's our guy for this year, you know, but this year can be shortened. Like 2021 could be two games or three games. I think both of them, that mantle is being handed over sooner rather than later. And, and I, 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 I do think when that happens won't be on what we see in these preseason games. It'll be what the coaches see that we're not able to see in these practices and the meeting rooms and the closed sessions with their position coaches, the things that they're uh, they're able to pick up and translate onto the field or the things that they're not able to pick up. Yeah. Well, kind of in retrospect, too, I always think about Kyle Shanahan. I go back to Mike Shanahan. He has a veteran guy and Jake Plummer on the roster. And then there's that pressure to put Jake Cutler in towards the end of the season. When you're still in a position to make the playoffs, you lose out. You go 9-7, 49ers beat you, and, and then you miss out on the, the playoffs in general. So I don't think that Kyle Shanahan is really in that position. I, I think that when you look at the skill set of what Trey Lance has, I think he can fit the mold of maybe what Kyle Shanahan wants, but it's going to be a gradual process. And, and as you mentioned, Trey, we'll eventually see them the question will be is when, but there's yeah, also yeah, real, real quickly to that point. It was something we talked about. That's also the team construct that I was talking yeah. about, right? With Lamar Jackson and, and, and RG three, Jimmy G and Trey Lance, aren't that diff, aren't that different. You know, they really aren't that different in terms of, of what they're planning to do at the quarterback position. So keep that in mind also when that transition will eventually take place. I'm looking forward to it. And there's a, there's a situation in Las Vegas. The Raiders are always an interesting story, I think, every year. Obviously, last year was their first year in Vegas. John Gruden, the draft decision. I know we've talked about their draft history. I know you and uh, your good buddy Mark Schlereth on Wingo and Stink have talked about it. 
But is John Gruden, how how much of the hot seat is he kind of facing this upcoming season if, in fact, the Raiders don't perform? Because, look, the AFC West is such a tough division, at least theoretically on paper. You have Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City Chiefs, and then you have a rising Chargers team, and then you have a Broncos team that has good defense. But there's a lot of questions on the offensive side of the ball and quarterback. And the Raiders, they have the talent. But the question yeah. is, can they put it together? Well, listen, I, I, they they gave him that ridiculous 10-year contract, right? So – uh, and, and you know, let's be honest, Mark Davis was a guy that needed cash, uh, and that's one of the reasons why they, they went to Vegas. So it was partly a cash grab. Let's just call it what it is. But John Gruden has not lived up to expectations, and that's, that's not a slam. That's not a hot take. That's a factual interpretation. Let me, let me read you the last three years of Jack Del Rio's head coaching career with the Oakland Raiders. Uh, they went 7-9 and nine the first year. Then the next year, they went 12-4 and four and made it to the playoffs. Now, they lost in the playoffs, but remember, that was the year when Derek Carr broke his leg. Yep. In week, what, he was either week 16 or week 17, yep. and he wasn't available for the postseason. So they went with the kid out of Michigan State, and it was an absolute disaster, and he was clearly not ready for that stage on that game in Houston, and the Texans took him down. And then the next year, the Raiders went 6-10, and 10, and Jack Del Rio was out of a job. So in those three years, he won, uh, what, uh, 25 games and lost 23 games. Well, John Gruden hasn't won 25 games in three years, and he's lost way more than those 23 games, and they have not made the postseason. So in every way, shape, and form, the previous coach in Jack Del Rio had a much better run uh, than John Gruden. And now let's add into the fact that – we talked about it before, the draft capital that Gruden and GM Mike Mayock acquired from getting rid of players like Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper. That has not translated. Uh, no. Of all those first-round picks that they've had, the only one that has had you know a decent amount of success has been running back Josh Jacobs. Now, Josh Jacobs plays a position that I believe is the most interchangeable in the NFL. You, know, you can find a good running back a lot of different places. So, yeah – they used a first-round pick to get a good running back. Did they need to get that running back in that situation? And the other first-round picks, whether it's Cleveland Farrell or Arnett, the cornerback out of Ohio State, that a lot of people are like, wait, you took him in the first round? Yeah. A lot of people were very surprised by that. There should be a lot of heat on John Gruden as the head coach of the Raiders because this is his team. He picked Mike Mayak to be his general manager, and he is more actively involved in the draft process, having worked with John on the draft. I know that for be a fact. Than most head coaches are, they would pass it off to the general manager. So he's been really, really active. What the Raiders are are what John Gruden has made them, and because of the money and because of the money he's getting and the lack of money the franchise has, I'm not sure how much pressure he's actually under. But he should be under a lot of pressure for underperforming. That's that's a non-debatable point. Yeah, and he's got a 10-year plan. I mean, at least that's what the contract suggests. But I don't think you can wait that long, especially when you have talent. You know, like uh, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, one of the best tight ends in the NFL who Absolutely. can flex outside. You, know, you have a speed option in Henry Ruggs that I think they're really looking for him to take that next step this year. They have the offensive talent. But even some of the moves that they made this offseason, getting rid of their bread and butter really on the offensive line that helped make them successful last year as an offense. I mean, they competed head-to-head -head with Kansas City in both of those matchups. And really, their biggest issue was on the defensive side of the ball and a couple of inconsistencies. But you're absolutely right. I mean, the pressure has to be on 
at some point because the expectations are very high. It almost makes me yeah. uh, go back to uh, watching your good friend stink on ballers when Spencer Strassman was trying to b- bring a team to Las Vegas. Yeah. Always just brings me back to those good times there. But that's an interesting topic of discussion. I know there's a lot of coaches that are potentially entering the season on the hot seat, but there is a team that is technically on the hot seat in terms of public perception. That is the Houston Texans organization. And look, they had an interesting ploy this past week where they tried to limit media access and say, hey, we're ending training camp. We're going into regular season mode, how we're going to conduct our practices. And the NFL says, hey, wait a minute. You're not doing that. Yeah, the, the Texans found out that everybody reports to somebody, right? Like uh, everybody has a boss. Uh, you know, I remember uh, at ESPN when I worked there all those years, if the NFL didn't like something we did, we changed it because we knew that most of our revenue came from our NFL coverage. You know, uh, you mentioned uh, the HBO show uh, that Stink is on. Well, remember the other one that was before that, uh, that was on, was it an HBO show? I can't remember. And the NFL hated that, uh, so we – Playmakers was the name of that yep. show. Uh, and they did not like that at all, so we pulled the plug on that one. The Texans as an organization are a disaster. Let's just call it what it is. Organizationally, they are a disaster. Over the last couple of years, uh, they traded away their second-best player behind Deshaun Watson and got a beat-up running back in return. And DeAndre Hopkins is thriving in Arizona. Uh, they let – the best player in franchise history, J.J. Watt, go. Some would say he wasn't worthy of the contract. I understand that, and you can make that argument, but it's still a talent void. And before the allegations came out against Deshaun Watson, he had had enough with the organization. And I feel bad for David Culley, the first-year head coach, because I believe he's waited a long time to get his opportunity, and I think he has the he can be a very good head coach. This is an organization that's a train wreck. There's, there's no other way uh, to, to phrase it. They got rid of one of the best PR people in the league. Yeah. Uh, who, who now, Amy now has a great job running things. Amy Palchik has a great job uh, running things in Jacksonville. It has been an abject disaster for the Houston Texans. So it does not surprise me in any way, shape, or form that they tried to pull what they did and say, oh, well, you know, I know it's preseason, but we're in, we're in regular season mode. And the NFL said, stop that BS right now because that is not going to happen and you know the Deshaun Watson thing is the reason they did this let's just be clear they don't want people like Deshaun Watson was filmed the other day and he said why are you filming me every day it's the same shit every day because they can and because you're the best player on the team and there's a huge question mark around you so you're going to draw draw a lot of attention whether you want it or not that's part of the process of being a franchise quarterback, and it's especially part of a process when you're the franchise quarterback who suddenly has some really weird, not cool allegations against you. And the NFL is going through its process, and they're going to figure it out. So this was clearly a move by the Texans to avoid some of that uh, spotlight on them. And the NFL said, we're not doing that. No way. Wild times. I mean, this is uh, 2021. We're almost at the end of 2021, approaching 2022. There's still a lot of question marks with Houston and maybe where they're going to get. I'm intrigued to see maybe where everything plays out in the next year, even two years. But, you know, as you mentioned with David Coley, it's a very tough situation to inherit. I mean, I I wonder if you ask him right now, hey, knowing what you know now, would you have taken this job if you knew that this was going to come up or this was going to come up? I don't know if he would, you know, especially even a situation in Baltimore. Yeah, well, listen, he, he, the thing is, and I, I talked to head coaches who were coaches and then worked for us at ESPN all those years and then got back into it. 
they always say, hell yeah, I take the job because there's only 32 of them. And there's yeah. probably 120 guys that want the gig. At the same time, I'm sure, and I can't remember when David was officially hired, but I don't like, I think the frustration with Deshaun was already out there. Yeah. But the allegations weren't. You know, I, I'm sure in David's mind, he thought, okay, Deshaun is not happy, but he's a franchise quarterback. Like he's a top five, top six guy in the league. There's no question about it. And people don't want to look at the season he had last year right now for a variety of reasons because, one, they were terrible. You know, J.J. Watt walked off the field after the season was over and said, I feel like I waste, we wasted one of your years. Deshaun Watson's numbers were ridiculous last yeah. year. They were ridiculously good. So people don't see that or don't process that or don't remember that because it was a shit year for the Houston Texans. He played phenomenally well. So I'm sure in Cully's mind, he's like, okay, I got a guy who can really play. So if we can just patch things up with the organization, any coach wants a franchise quarterback to walk into. That's the number one thing. Do I have a franchise quarterback I can build around? Absolutely. Well, now you're hit with the – I'm not sure Deshaun Watson's going to play at all this year. Like, I, I really don't think that's going to happen. And I don't think a team's going to trade for him in any way, shape, or form until they know what the parameters are of the potential legal uh, penalties and, on top of that, potential NFL penalties. Like, you cannot, if you're a general manager, in good conscience – give away a boatload of players and picks for Deshaun Watson, knowing that it may not even register until 2022. And that's just on the NFL side, let alone what potential legal or civic penalties he might be facing. So it, it, it's, a, it's a giant mess. There, there's no question about it. And I think it has to be resolved from the NFL's perspective on some level fairly quickly. It would not surprise me at all if in the next couple of weeks the NFL announces he's on the commissioner's exempt list, which means you're in timeout, basically. You go sit over there, and we'll figure this out. And until we figure it out, you're not seeing the field. Well, uh, interesting storyline to follow, obviously, is the NFL season just about three and a half weeks away. And Trey, I think this was a great first episode of More Than Football. And this is also available not only just on YouTube, Pro Football Network, it's also available on every single one of the podcasting platforms out there. So make sure that if you're listening, you hit that subscribe button. But Trey, before we get off air here, I feel like it would be uh, you know wrong of us to not mention some great news that has happened for you this week, becoming the Chief Trends Officer and Brand Ambassador for Caesar Sportsbook. Do you have anything you want to talk about regarding that? Yeah, listen, it, sometimes opportunities just come your way. Uh, like the opportunity to work with you guys at PFN has been absolutely phenomenal. We started it through the draft, and we're going to continue it through the season. Really excited about what we're doing here. Uh, the Caesars thing came together really quickly over a couple of weeks. Um, and by the way, I hate Chief Trends Officer. Yeah, whatever. I'm gonna. I, I'm a chief. You know what, what does that mean? I'm an officer. I don't know. Uh, we're gonna talk football, basically. I'm gonna talk football, uh, much like we're doing here. We're gonna do it on the Caesars uh, Caesars platforms. It's gonna be a lot of fun. But for me, the other part of this, which is really cool, it's a new place where I'll be doing a lot of this stuff. But there's a lot of very familiar faces that I worked with for many years over at ESPN that are now working with Caesars. So it wasn't just about the opportunity to to be uh, on their platform. It was about the opportunity to work with people that I know and trust and believe are very good at what they do. And so that was a big part of it. So, uh, you know, starting uh, the first week of September, we're going to be pumping out a lot of content uh, on the Caesars uh, platforms, the digital platforms as well. I'll be doing appearances for them, but basically just getting people up to speed on what they need to know uh, for the NFL season. And, and I want to be clear about one thing. I'm not an odds guy. I'm not a I'm not a sharp. I'm not telling you where to bet. That's not my my, my job with Caesars. My job is to give you the information about why the odds makers 
feel the way they feel. Why, why are the Chiefs a 10-point favorite on the road? Well, because they have the best road record over the last three years on the Patrick Mahomes era in the NFL. That's why. It's those kind of things and the stories behind the odds that I'm going to bring with Caesars, much in the same way we're doing it here. We're going to do it with, with Caesars on their platform as well. And there's a huge, big announcement coming soon with them that, I, that is not done yet, uh, but I think people will be really happy about that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely looking forward to it, Trey. And uh, like I said, I can't wait till we get the chance to do this here once again. Talking about the latest round of the National Football League with Trey Wingo. And make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Wingos. But that'll do it for the first episode of More Than Football, a Trey Wingo podcast.